this, episode one. I'm your host, Patrick Quinn, and we'll be discussing those ideas that have just been rattling around your brain pan, or have been locked away in a cabinet, or uh, for whatever reason, just didn't come to fruition. Maybe it's a scope issue. Maybe maybe your idea was just too big. Maybe you just didn't have the resources at the time. Or uh, it could have just been a terrible idea. But this show is where we will discuss those ideas, see what could have been done to make them better at work, and go from there. The idea for this show basically came out of wanting an idea for a show. So I... While thinking about ideas for the show, you know, a gaming podcast, done. Movie reviews, uh, pilots. I had one where I was going to watch every episode of uh, Family Matters and review each episode. Anyways, all those eventually felt terrible to me. Like, the, none of these, none of these ideas will work. So I said, well, what do I have that I can talk about? Like what's, what's something I have plenty of resources to go back to. And that was bad ideas or ideas that I never uh, finished. So I've got a few guests lined up, not for today, but in the future, um, a couple board game designers that have had some releases recently, publisher for board games. Uh, I mean, that's because I'm heavily involved in the board game, uh, board game creation and designer community. So there will be guests, and it's not just going to be me talking about my ideas. The first few episodes, maybe. And today we're going to be talking about the first full fleshed out idea I ever had. And this comes from all the way back in 2000, no, 1999. I was 17. And I started on this idea, and this called Genesis Seed. This is back before the resurgence of uh, adventure games, Sierra-type adventure games, like those old 2D side-view adventure games where just clicking things and trying out different combinations of items from your inventory with the world, see what happens, figuring out puzzles. That's the kind of stuff I grew up on. So back then, I really loved those types of games, and nobody was making them anymore. So I said, why don't I try to make one? Now, I have no programming experience. I've never written anything at this point. I don't know how to design games uh, from a design aspect. But I sat down and I just started writing. And I came up with Genesis Seed. And for a long time, it was gaining traction. I had people working on it. We're talking award-winning composers. Other writers. I had a couple voice actors I brought in. And this is all... On, I mean, at the time I was living with my best friend and his mother in their house in Phoenix, Arizona with no AC and some, you know, I didn't have a job. I had no education. I had no money, but I guess I was convincing because I got a lot of people to work on it. So the, the idea was at the time I was really interested in steampunk and this is following my cyberpunk phase and basically anything with the punk added to the end was Right up my alley. But steampunk was interesting because it was kind of Victorian and they used steam technology, steam engines and the like, uh, hydraulics and, and, and other things to power machines that seemed almost modern. Like, uh, they could function in almost a modern way. You know, uh, flying vessels, vehicles, uh, weaponry, things like that. But I didn't want like a big war game or, 
anything like that. I wanted this to be an adventure, um, like a quest to save humanity in this world. Basically, in one sentence, Genesis Seed was an epic science fiction in- adventure with steampunk aspects. Uh, it was a space opera, basically, which took place on a living planet that mirrored the minds of the people who walked on it. So as the crew of the Genesis Seed, the Genesis Seed is the ship uh, that reaches it. When they arrive, the planet shapes itself to what was in their minds. And it, it'll make more sense as I go on. So the world of Genesis Seed is Earth, but it's an alternative. It's like a um, another dimension Earth. And they got struck by some kind of comet or I didn't nail this part down, but something brought a disease to the planet that was wiping out the human population. By the time um, Genesis Seed happens, 7 billion people are about to be wiped out. Only 2% of the world is left alive after this. So with the entire world dying, all the nations came together and they, they sat down and they said, well, what can we do about this? And they um, took the best and the brightest minds, and they cloned them. Uh, and they put these clones aboard a ship called the Genesis Seed. Now, this is a massive ship that not only has these clones, it, which is like a crew of uh, seven or eight clones, and they stored them on the ship with seeds of, of any uh, all the plants of the world, art, uh, books, music, animal DNA, really anything that's cultural or matters. And they, these, these clones would be put in stasis as they grew and taught by an AI called Mother Goose. And you'll see a, you'll see a format basically with how Mother Goose and the rest of the stuff is brought in and, and how grim fairy tales and stuff like that applies to this. It's a, it's a big factor in this. So they, they needed a pilot too, because the children are going to be an AI growing and learning while they're in stasis. So they, they hire or they find uh, a guy named Modokai Jack. And Modokai Jack is your classic, um, swashbuckling Han Solo. Uh, I don't think Firefly was out at the time, but Malcolm Reynolds, you know, type captain. They're just kind of a little bit goofy, but really capable. And, and he's, uh, you know, he's the pilot. Once they discover the planet, because he's going to be put in stasis too, because there's no idea of knowing how long they're going to be in space. The the world has wrote itself off. You know, the, this is just a a way to continue humanity. Now, before we get to the rest of the story, uh, let's discuss some of the game design document aspects. And when you design a game design document, you basically want to cover the one sentence synopsis and then an abstract synopsis, which is you know, uh, six or seven sentences just describing the game and where it's going to go. Influences, you know, who influences this game. Uh, sometimes movie people will pitch a movie saying, uh, take a little bit of this and this, and you have this, like, oh, my movie's a combination of Back to the Future and Alien. It, you know, that kind of stuff. You want to touch on who's your target audience, platform, unique selling points, game mechanics. Uh, then you want to get kind of deeper you want to map out your controls how it scores win and lose conditions then you're going to go on to level design how the story works characters uh you touch on the visual style how it's going to look then you have a section which is basically you sketching out the game screens uh or your your concept artist 
You're going to have assets, like what kind of graphical assets you're going to need. Um, you, you want your mu- music director to say what kind of, what style of music there is and how it should, if, what emotions it should evoke. And then audio design, which is, you know, sound effects, things like that. And basically you're writing all this down. So everybody else who's making this stuff has a guide to follow. So it keeps everybody on the same page. Now this isn't the script. This isn't the, the actual concept art. This isn't the final level design. This is just a starting point, you know, um, a way to get everybody on the same page. So as we go down the list, it'll make more sense. So my target audience is casual gamers and gamers who love adventure games, classic or recent and gamers looking for a deeper gaming experience. Now, I mean, I might seem counterintuitive. Uh, casual gamers and gamers looking for a deeper gaming experience. But I wanted it to be a game you could, uh, it, it was going to be designed in Flash because at the time Flash was just getting started and rolling. We didn't have Unity yet. Nothing like that. Flash was where gamers, you know, went when they didn't want to play a, a PC deep game or, or a console game. You know, they just loaded up their browser, clicked on the link and they were playing a game. But I wanted it to be a game you could hop into, save locally or, or, you know, through one of the hosting services and, and pop out of, but then come back to. And I wrote this when I was 17. So there's a lot of stuff I change now. I take out the casual part and just focus on the story because as I'm, I, I didn't write this document all at once and a lot of it grew. So the casual gamer part didn't even apply by the end. Uh, but yeah, the platform. I was going to, like I said, was going to be written in Flash. And when we actually started developing it, that changed. I think it was C or, or whatever we were decided on. And the unique selling points, this is, this is what made the game interesting to people. Uh, it was a return to a classic genre that has seen few modern equivalents. And this is before Telltale Games started their resurgence or their um, return I believe. I don't remember if they had come out with their Back to the Future one yet or the new Sam and Max series or whatever at that point, but it felt to me like those games weren't around anymore. So the next item was a twisted take on the classic grim fairy tales. And again, you'll see how that works in later. And the next point was an amorphous world, which weaves a living story for those it captures. And this worked on both the characters in the game and you because it's capturing your attention and it's weaving a story for you. And I wanted it to be engrossing. I wanted it to be um, enveloping, like you'd get lost in the story that was being told. And now after all that, which is very abstract ideas, you can just uh, say those and, and there's a lot that we put into them. You get to the more gritty stuff how it's going to actually work. Game mechanics, uh, it was going to play like an interactive story. Just like the classic Sierra games, you'd uh, interact with the environment and solve puzzles, and those puzzles would advance the story, and all the controls would be uh, handled through the mouse. I wanted to make it as simple to control as possible. No complex keyboard controls, nothing like that. So it was basically point and click, mouse to aim, left click to interact, right click to open the menu, things like that. The game would be episodic, or originally it was going to be a free game. Because I wasn't paying people to make it. I didn't feel comfortable with asking for money for people to play it. I would probably pitch that differently now. Because with Kickstarter and stuff, which didn't exist when I was first starting this game. Or at least I wasn't aware of it. I would now try to get some kind of monetary involvement to help pay the people who created it with me. So that that would change. 
level design, what happened later, it's kind of, you, you got a plot. So I, I started writing a script and level designs in that. Then you go to the story, which again, I have a script. We're just looking at the design document. So the script is, is, is separate to this. Characters is where it starts to get interesting to me. Uh, so the captain of the Genesis seat, as I say, is Modokai Jack. There was an alternative name, David Modokai. I didn't like that. Modokai Jack sounds more, you know, he's Modokai Jack. He's the captain of the Genesis seed. Takes no nonsense, but he always has a wise crack. That type of guy. Self-assured, slightly cocky with a swagger to him. Seems to express a lack of empathy, but he uses that to hide his emotions. He cares for his crew, and it shows in his actions, not his words. And there's Mother Goose, who initially is a loving AI. Uh, she's programmed to be caring and motherly with uh, the appearance and vocal inflections of an elderly, like, British-type lady. But during the progression of the game, we'll become more paranoid and sinister. And eventually, uh, I was going to have her become an obstacle for the player to overcome. And I think I might have changed that. Like, I think I would have had the player develop a relationship with her and then sacrifice her later on instead of making her the bad guy. Just based on how I feel about stories now as opposed to then. Then I was thinking, you know, there has to be conflict all over the place. That's what drives the story. But now... I understand relationships drive stories and they're still bad guys and there's still obstacles to overcome, but you need those deep relationships too. And then the other crew see in the game, the you'd play Mordecai Jack for a while and then you'd switch to another character and you'd play their part of the story. And then you'd switch to another character and you'd play their part of the story. And then at the end, they'd all come together and you could control all of them uh, for the end scenes. Uh, and then you, I don't have any names for these guys yet, but here's just a quick list. You had the mechanic and he, these are the clones. So you'd play the clones, um, after they're awoken. You'd have the mechanic who's, um, she's sweet and innocent, grungy looking, always covered in engine grease. So yeah, uh, and this is, like I said, this is 1999. This is two, three years before Firefly. And, and, you know, it's basically the girl from Firefly. Kaylee from Firefly. She would be, Kaylee would be perfect for an example of this mechanic. It's just weird how that worked out. I guess not great minds think alike, but you know, whatever. Uh, then we, then you'd have a botanist who'd be Mill. Uh, he'd have a green thumb, obviously. His, his look would be green themed, passionate, self-assured, caring as well. You'd have a doctor. He'd be clean and clinical looking. He'd wear a lab coat have glasses. His character would be egotistical and logical, almost to a fault. And these are all stereotypes. Like, I'd change them now to be more human. Then you'd have a security. She would be larger, gruff, no nonsense. She'd be wearing some kind of uniform, military or otherwise. Uh, she'd have a stun gun. That'd be her her item that would separate her from the others. Each one would have an item. I just didn't separate the other ones at that point. So now we come to how the game would look. And this is where it gets interesting because... I don't think at the time there were many 2.3D, it'd, it'd be like a faux 3D, or it'd be like a faux 2D. So it'd be modeled in 3D, but you'd come at it, like you'd look at it, and it would turn it into 2D, so it'd give it more depth. There'd be stuff behind your screen happening that would give it a, a, a deep look, um, and then you'd have your stuff in your foreground. So... You just move the camera to the side because it's still side scrolling, but the entire landscape would be modeled in 3D. My, my compose, I'll, I'll try to, I think I'm going to cut in some, some sample music here. 
So here, um, I'll let you listen to a couple seconds of some of the themes that were created by our composer, Aaron C. Edwards. He's this fellow in Australia I've worked with on a few projects now, and he's really talented. And, and as I've known him, he's grown by leaps and bounds. So this is a few seconds of the main theme. And now this is a few seconds of Mordecai Jack's theme. Now, each of those were supposed to give an emotional like reaction to an event that was specifically happening. So like the part you listen to for Mordecai Jack's theme, there were a bunch of separate parts he wrote in that could be used for different scenes, like an action scene. There was a, and then for slow scenes, it was, it was more melodic, things like that. And they were all plays on the same theme, but in different instruments, different speeds, but the bases were always the same. Now we've got through what it was. Now, I guess we touch on some of the other ideas. So in the first scene, Mordecai Jack is woken up by klaxons and Mother Goose is, is just going again and again, warning, planet fall imminent, warning, planet fall imminent. And th- there's a red screen. It's, it's fading in blurry to the viewer. And you see his room. It's cramped, uh, old war posters and flags adorn the wall. A pair of old flintlocks, uh, flintlocks are mounted on the wall and there's black and white photos everywhere. And then there's like a cop, coffin shaped door set into the wall and there's a hissing and the door slides open and Mordecai Jack stumbles out and he's like, uh, you know, turn that God forsaken noise off mother. I'm up. And then, uh, he's, and then I wanted him to be snarky. So his next line would have been, uh, what's the emergency? Are we crashing? We're crashing, ain't we? Should I run around with my arms in the air screaming? We're all going to die. And then, Moda, you know, mother's like, no, this is no laughing matter. And then she goes on status report. And basically, planet appears like it appears. It pops out of nowhere. There's just this ball that's out there. And she tries to scan it. And then she's caught in like this uh, gravitational pool. And the ship is struck by an asteroid or some kind of debris. And then that's why she woke them up. And, and it's all very confusing. Because Jack's confused, like, what do you mean it appeared? That doesn't make any sense. So he tries to escape and hot pipes burst and he has to fix them. And this is basically the tutorial level where she's like, you know, there's an emergency kit in your bottom drawer of your dresser. It'd be prudent for you to acquire it. And then there'd be a pop-up on the screen that says to open or investigate or acquire inventory. Click here, do this, do that. And then take this item from your inventory and click it on the pipe. You know, it, it lead the player through how to play it by fixing the ship in this like high tension situation. I mean, it says there's only 10 minutes until we crash, but the game would give you as much time as you needed to learn how to play. It just, there'd be a false sense of urgency. So he gets back up to the cockpit and he sees this planet and, uh, you know, there's no choice between him and the planet. There's this huge asteroid field and he has to, the, the ship's going down anyways, like it's being pulled towards the planet. So he has to get to it. So there would be this cut scene and this dramatic music where he's weaving between 
asteroids. You know, he's barely skirting them. Uh, sometimes he might scrape against one. Sparks would go flying. Uh, and it's just like, um, it's like the Millennium Falcon getting away from the TIE fighters. You know, it's kind of like that, just swooping. And, and then and the ship's too big. It wasn't meant to land in this, like, type of situation. So parts are flying off, plates and things, and they crash. Fate to black. And then, you know, you have to go wake up the clones, and then you take control. You pick your first clone to take, and you go to their story arc. That's the beginning of the story. So each of the pers- each of the clones, now they're children, because, I mean, they're fully functioning, they're intelligent, they've been taught by Mother Goose, but they're not physically mature. You take each one to their story. Now, each story is directly connected to what they do. So... If you take control of, say, the security officer, now she either wanders off or gets abducted. You know, they each end up having a quest. You have to go acquire this to repair the ship. My scans, Mother Goose would say, my scans indicate this is required to do this, and this is required to do this, and this is right up your alley, mechanic lady, so you go do this. So the security officer is sent off to scout or or, or investigate something, and, and she gets uh, abducted by a war party um, the basically uh, a military people, and and they're very much human looking, but their land, uh, their city that she gets taken to, is very dystopian. You know, everything's focused on the military. So her story arc would be investigating the city, helping this uh maybe the rebels to fight the overpowering dystopian government. Maybe there'd be a, a grand. Um, general or something she'd have to fight, but that'd be her story arc and it'd lead her to, to, you know, the end of the, of the story where they all meet back up. If you selected, uh, the botanist, you know, he'd go investigate some medicine. Maybe Mordecai Jack gets injured and that's why he can't continue the story and that's why he switched. So he goes to find some plant to help Mordecai and he wanders off and he finds this race of people who have grown their city and It'd be kind of like a Jack and a Beanstalk type deal. Um, you know, there's tall, grown uh, ladders into the sky and he climbs them. And, you know, he finds this city up there and he has to do something for them. And then uh, the scientist would find a city or a people or an event that reflected his abilities, so on and so forth. Over time, they they encounter creatures from fairy tales, werewolves, uh, witches, Leprechauns, things like that, things that shouldn't exist because they're specific to the 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 crew's myths from Earth. There's no way this planet, millions and millions of light years away, could have this stuff. But what they learn by the end is that the planet itself is alive. It's a creature, and it's it's basically telepathic. But the only way it can communicate is by creating things, changing its world. The only problem is it's gone mad because it's the last one of its species. And the crew learns that a long time ago, there used to be tons of these things around a specific star. And and these things just, you know, they communicated, they floated in orbits, and, and you know, they, they lived in, in a basically um, a community all connected to one another through their minds. So the problem is the sun supernovaed and only 
the one on on the furthest air the furthest orbit away this one survived so he's the last of his species and for a species that relied on a telepathic connection not having that connection over millions and millions of years drove him completely mad so it's trying to communicate with them but it has basically multiple personalities. There's parts of it that want them dead. There's parts of it that wants uh, them alive. There's parts of it that wants them to kill it because it's tired of suffering. There's parts of it that just want to poke them. So that's what's happening, you know, these werewolves and all these weird things. And it pulled all these stories straight from their brains while they were, you know, in orbit, uh, in stasis. Because Mother Goose, part of her training was to tell them the mythologies of the planet, you know, and, and she showed them to them. So they learned about Jack and the Beanstalk, things like that. So by the end of the game, these, these characters have figured this out. They've gone through each of their trials and, 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 and come out, you know, for the better or, or, or at least not dead, I guess. And they, they find the core of the planet and they basically have to, the, the game will have two endings or had two endings. I think I just focused on the one ending now because the other one's kind of dark. But they would have two choices. And this would lead into the sequels. The first one would be to save the planet, repair its fractured mind, and make it whole again. And then live on the planet and like form a telepathic bond with the planet. So it wouldn't be alone anymore. It'd have family. And then as you know, they lived on the planet, the culture would grow with this planet providing them what they needed. The second one and the darker one would be to kill the planet, uh, take out its core, its mind, its soul, and then use its surface as a new world as is, as it, as it is now, because it wouldn't be able to shape or create things anymore because it'd be dead. That's pretty dark. And I don't, I don't, I don't think I want to go there anymore. Uh, so I would just focus on that first ending and then have the sequels follow that. Now what happened was, while I was creating this, I'm 17. I have no money. Zero. I have negative money. I don't have a bank account. Uh, I'm, I'm, the only reason I'm not homeless is because my friend helped me and, and my friend's mother. But I had the ability to convince other people that like, yeah, this is a good idea. I wrote it down. I, I applied in forums, uh, seeking people to work with me. I got a lot of responses. That's how I met. Uh, Aaron, and then I got some concept artists and they were, they were working. I got other writers and they were working. Aaron made some great tracks. So he was working. Everything was going swimmingly until I got to the need for a programmer. And this is where things fell apart. While concept artists will work for free, while writers will seemingly work for free. And I've, I've, I've encountered this in multiple projects and I wouldn't do it anymore because I understand it doesn't work and people should be compensated for their time eventually somehow even if you're not able to do it right away you should try to try to give them something for what they've done for you but programmers don't like to work for free and again i understand why that's a lot of work just to hand to someone so i couldn't find a programmer i had all this i had had design documents i had scripts i had and a lot of this has been lost through time i have the original design document i have parts of the script i have parts of stories i've written I, I know I can get most of those music tracks, but if I did the game again, I'd probably have him redo them because he's grown so much since then. When I got to the programmer, I couldn't find one. Just couldn't. So it was put on hiatus, and then eventually I lost touch with all the team, uh, formatting computers, just getting caught up in life. I got married since then. I mean, this is 
16 years ago. A lot has happened between then and now. It just got put on the back burner. And this is the idea. This is the first idea. This is the, this is the idea that needs to be made someday. Like this is still an idea that I'm going to make someday. Even if it changes a hundredfold, uh, Genesis seed, the core idea will be made comic books, a novel, things like that. If it's not a game, it'll be something because there's just too much I put into this not to have something made. So that's where it failed was not having the resources to acquire what I needed to, to make it happen. And I've learned a lot over the years. I mean, I probably could get it done now. I still don't have the money to pay somebody to do it, but if I do all the work, the writing work, uh, if I, if I cash in some of my friends favors and, you know, get, uh, get some more concept art done, start, releasing on social media, you know, snippets of it, try to build a fan base. I could probably kickstart it. I mean, I've never successfully kickstarted anything in my life. I only tried once. That was for trying to revive Genesis Seed when Kickstarter first came out and nobody was using it. But I also didn't market it. I put it up on Kickstarter and I walked away like, oh, I'll see what happens. But now if I put the effort in, I might be able to get it made. It just requires a lot of work to modernize it. And I think that's where 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 we are now with Genesis Seed is it's on hiatus but it's going to be made someday. And I think everybody has an idea like that, like an idea that they know might not be the best idea, but it's it's an idea you hold dear and you want to see come to fruition someday. And now that we're basically at the end of the podcast, and I don't know if this is interesting to listen to. I mean, it's probably going to change over time as I get guests and stuff, but it's going to, as we, as we get near the end of the podcast, this is basically what the podcast is about, talking about an idea, talking about where it went wrong, um, maybe what could make it better, what could make it happen for uh, the creative types, people who have projects that have failed or on hiatus or the back burner, or maybe an idea they don't think is good enough. That's what I want to talk about. And I have plenty of ideas. I, I've got comic books. I've got movie scripts. I've got uh, books that I want to write. I've got other games. I've got uh, you know video games, board games. I mean, I'm constantly coming up with ideas. That's something I can do. I could just come up with an idea. And that doesn't mean it's a good idea, but it's an idea. So I think next time we'll talk about something more recent that I've come up with. World, I've been trying to force into some kind of um, setting. Uh, it's called Wolfguard, and it would make a tabletop game. I, I want to do that. Or a board game. So we'll talk about that next time, I think. But if you want to come onto the show and talk about your ideas, an idea that uh, didn't make it or an idea that you've, you've put aside for now. Maybe we'll talk about how we could change it or not change it, but bring it to fruition for you. Like what are some ideas to make it work? We could do that. Then drop me a line at pitch this at gmail.com or on Reddit at pitch this. But I just want to thank you for listening to my ramblings for half an hour but I'm going to try to do this weekly. And in a few episodes, we'll have our first guest. And I think we'll start with a fellow. Well, I don't want to say who, just in case it doesn't happen. But because he's been a success. I mean, he's gotten stuff made. What about his ideas that haven't been made? Why, when compared to ideas that have come to fruition, haven't these other ones worked out? We'll talk about that. So if you like this, you know, just subscribe, or like it, pass it around, just uh, get it more notice and Hopefully I can keep doing this. But uh, yeah, thanks for listening to Pitch This. Episode one, it's a little shaky because it's new at first. I'm just doing this. I don't have any idea what I'm doing, but I'm going to do it. And hopefully there's more of these. Hopefully you like it enough 
that you want to listen to more and I'll make more. If you want to listen to more, I will make more. That's my promise. If you tell me, hey, this is something I like listening to, I will give you more. If this is something you don't like listening to, then maybe I'll do something else. Maybe I'll do a podcast on full or family matters or whatever it is I said earlier. So again, thank you for listening to Pitch This, episode one. 